I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everybody, welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's minor league podcast. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'm joined by Lucas Vlahos and Kenny Levin. How are you guys doing today? Good. Yeah, pretty good. All right, so let's jump Mostly right in. because the Mets haven't played yet. Well, yeah, that's true. It's a Sunday night baseball day, so for once we're not recording while we're watching them blow a lead. Well, the solution then is not to watch them. We're also not watching them while our manager is kicking somebody out of the clubhouse and Jason Swampy Vargas is trying to fight people, but I digress <laughs> since that happened while we were recording last week. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that was something else, huh? All right. Well, let's jump right into promote, extend and trade. And uh, according to Lucas, NBA free agency starts tonight. I'm going to assume that he's not lying to me and making me look like an idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really don't know anything about basketball. But the Mets did make a bunch of free agent uh, signings last year. And by and large, they have not worked out. Jerry's familiar. He's on the DL right now. And when he has been able to pitch, it has not been really effective. Justin Wilson. Same thing. Jed Lowry, I don't even know if he exists or not. Devin Mezzarocco would have rather stopped existing 
then be sent down to AAA. Wow. Yeah, I mean, so rather than try to rank those guys or the bunch of, you know, the Danny Echeverrias, the Razzay Davises, all of the kind of quad A filler vets that the Mets filled uh, the Syracuse roster with. I'm going to look, let's look at the guys that the Mets lost to free agency, the minor league guys, the notable minor league guys. So for promote, extend, and trade, we have Nebil Krismat, we have Johan Urania, and Wilmer Becerra. So of those three, uh, Krismat being right-handed pitcher, made it to AAA, had decent success. Uh, Urania made it to AA, kind of a slugger that lost a lot of his power. Um, and Becerra, I think, made it as high as high A, and he just kind of lost his power as well. Um, of those three, who would you promote, who would you extend, and who would you trade? Uh, I think my extend is definitely Krismat. Same. Mm-hmm. Uh, because... He's a, he has an interesting line in AAA for the Mariners. He's 12.2 K9, 4.5 BB9. ERA is 9.6, but Ooh. I'm pretty sure they, they're they affiliates in the PCL, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. really care. That's so it's, like, it's an extreme run environment, extremely high you know, scoring run environment, and uh, also the balls are juiced. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, like suddenly he went to the in Double A he had a he was nine uh, strikeouts per nine and one walk. Like that might be the seventh best starter in the Mets organization right now. The, yeah, Chris Mazza pitched yesterday, so I, I think yeah Chris Matt would probably be in the big league picture right now if he was in the Mets system. This is I didn't I, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure we talked about this either in the Slack or on the podcast somewhere when. Chris Matt became a free agent. Like, what? We have no upper minors pitching depth, and we just let him leave? Yep. Oh, no, it's okay. We have Walker Lockett, though. <sighs> so, True. yeah, definitely <laughs> extend Chris Matt. Um, and I always liked Urania, so I'll, I'll promote him and then trade Becerra. Becerra's shoulder just got so borked after the surgery, it never really recovered. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't really know too much about Yohan Urain yet, but I know a lot about, you know, Becerra and the shoulder and what he looked like after. So, yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah, well, then it is unanimous. Urania was originally, like, Rosario's uh, best bud at some point when they were in, I don't know, Kingsport or the GCL or wherever. Yeah, they came up. They They were, you know, infield buddies. He lost quite a bit of time to a broken bone in the hand, uh-huh. and that kind of kept him back and messed with the swing, obviously. Uh-huh. And I think then, I forget if it was double A or high A, but they gave him a kind of aggressive assignment. I think it was double A. Yeah. And he kind of was a guy that never really walked too much and hit for a lot of power. And he kind of then started doing the opposite. His walk rate went up, but his home run rates and his slugging went down. So it seemed like he was kind uh, of trying to compensate, I guess. And just they never really, the power never really came back in an acceptable level. But, oh well. They moved it to the outfield uh, too, right? Yeah, 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 that's right. Good arm, but kind of uh, 
heavier set, slower kind of body, bad body, and didn't really have too much defensive value. I mean, the arm was the best part of the package, so it kind of fit in right field if you would, you know, give away a little bit of the range because you had a good arm. He's hanging around as a body in the angel system right now, so. Yeah, I mean, he is, I think he's only 26. 24. 24, holy crap. All right, so, I mean, it's unlikely, but there's still time that, uh, maybe in that maybe in their system some guy teaches him something that makes a click because i mean the tools are there kind of and you can't teach power he has power his eye got a little better you know as he as he progressed up the system and the arm again you can't teach arm strength so maybe someone in that system teaches him how to swing better or how to look for certain pitches Maybe he makes it. I mean, if if Cesar Pueyo, Wilfredo Tovar can have kind of major league careers by hanging on long enough, there's no reason that Johan Urania can't. Wilfredo Tovar also on the Angels. Yep. I think and he just got DFA'd. Yes, he was. Not too long ago. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Hashtag bring him home. Pueyo is also on the Angels, although I don't so know if he made... He's on the Marlins now. No, oh, okay. He, uh, got DFA'd by the Angels or put through waivers in the Marlins blanket. Mm. They also picked up Jeffrey Marte at one point, right? I guess they just, right, like, right, right. they love all these Mets cast <laughs> All of these guys that Jeff Paternostro loves. <laughs> oh, did they? They had Petit at one point, too, didn't they? Uh, that was, like, two years ago, I think. <laughs> Well, uh, we have to look into their free agent, uh, their front office then. Who's in there? Maybe because... we can get one of those Mike Trouts they have. I think that would be fair. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. So something just happened that um, uh, I feel like we kind of need to talk about briefly. Oh, good or Guess bad? Guess what? Good, good. Uh, oh. Guess what? Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil have been named 2019 National League All-Stars. Oh, that's good. So two of our more recent minor league successes are going to be playing in the all-star game this year. Definitely success stories. Yep. This is the strange, this is the strange thing. Someone said this in Slack. I don't know who, but I I would credit them if I could. The Mets pump out these stars and can't produce depth. Yep. I just don't get it. This is what, like a 99th percentile outcome for Jeff McNeil's career. And Pete Alonso. And Pete Alonso also, yeah. But we yeah. can't have we can't have a fourth or fifth <laughs> outfielder worth a damn. Can't have a third starter worth a damn. Can't have a seventh inning reliever worth a damn. Yeah, no, we have to go into indie ball to find those. That's, that's I mean, this seems like it's been a problem for the Mets going all the way back to like 2006. Like they made it as far as they did with such a talented team, but because they didn't have good guys on the fringes or they weren't really allocating resources correctly to you know their fourth fifth outfielders to their back of the rotation to the to the end to the weakest part of the bullpen they failed and here we are more than what is it 15 years later and it's still the same time is a flat circle it's very true it's as if they allocate all their resources into two or three guys in terms of develop help development and then don't help everyone else, but I can't believe that. So I, I really don't understand it. Anyway, this mm. is a very long tangent. Well, at least it's a good tangent, unlike most of the uh, 
team's performance this year. I mean, this this week and this year too, really. <laughs> uh, Syracuse, the Syracuse Mets, they went three and four, and that brings them to 39 and 42, which is good for third place in the International League North, which and seven and a half games behind Scranton for first. The Binghamton Rumble Ponies, they went four and six. And they are five and eight in the second half now, which is two and a half games behind the Red and Fighting Phils for the Eastern League Eastern Division. St. Lucie went three and three, and they are eight and four in the second half, which is a game behind the Charlotte Stone Crabs for first in the Florida State League South. What a name! Mm-hmm. Columbia, uh, the Fireflies went four and three, and they are now five and five in the second half, and they're tied with three other teams for second place in the Atlantic League Southern Division. Uh, Brooklyn had a good week. The Cyclones went 5-1, and one, and they are 9-5, and five, alone at the top of the New York Penn League McNamara Division. Kingsport, they went 2-4, and four, and they are 6-5 and five of the year, which is tied for the Elizabethton Twins for second place and a half game behind the Johnson City Cardinals for first in the Appy League West. And last but not least are the GCL Mets, and they are currently at an even 500, going 2-2 two and two to start their season. So our hitter of the week is a guy that is a major reason why the Cyclones are 5-1, and one, and that is second baseman, infielder, slash outfielder, utility guy, Luke Ritter. He played six games this week, and he is hitting 364. 444, 636 with eight hits, uh, and that includes a double, a triple, and a home run, four walks, five strikeouts, and a caught stealing. And it's worth noting that the triple was almost a home run. He hit it on Saturday night. Um, me and Kenny were at the game, and it was, I would say a foot or so away from being a home run. Yeah, and the deepest part of the park, too. Yeah. It's like 412 or so to center. How does that park usually play? Uh, it's death to it's good uh, left-handed for, power hitters. Yeah, good for right-handed pull hitters. Okay. So Ritter was drafted this year uh, in the seventh round at a Wichita State. He signed for just $10,000, which meant that about 200000 or so could be allocated to Matthew Allen, who we'll talk about more later. Uh, Ritter was okay in his first year at the Shockers. He had a sophomore slump in his second year. He incorporated some changes into his swing that he made when he was playing in the California Collegiate League that summer. And he had a good junior year as a result. And the Twins drafted him, but he turned them down and returned to Wichita State because... Uh, the Shockers just missed out on making it to the College World Series, so he felt like he had some unfinished business. But unfortunately for Ritter and Richita, they did even worse uh, this year than they did in 2018. But he had a good season. Uh, he, he earned all-conference honors. He hit 336, 458, 555 in 59 games. He hit nine home runs, and he stole 12 bases. So... Ritter reminds me a lot about, uh, excuse me, he reminds me a lot of newly proclaimed National League All-Star Jeff McNeil. I don't think that Ritter is going to even sniff 
anything close to that upside. But physically, they're similar. Ritter's 5'11", 190. McNeil's 6'1", 190. Their profiles are similar. They're both kind of quick to the ball, short swings, have a little bit of pull side pop. They're tough strikeouts. Neither are particularly good runners, but they kind of have you know, good instincts. And you figure they're good for like 5 to 10 steals. They both profile best at second base because the arm is kind of average. But they're both athletic enough that they could also fake it at third or in left field. Obviously, yeah. Well, <laughs> don't know, but obviously the odds of Ritter becoming another McNeil are like slim to none. But he feels like, you know, that kind of profile. I feel like the system really doesn't have a lot of like the kind of gamer that grinds out at bats, is tough to strike out, fights, you know, every at bat. Maybe it's kind of just a perception thing. Um, for me, but between all the teams that I've seen this year, Brooklyn, Columbia, Binghamton, maybe Sam Haggerty is the only other guy that kind of fits the mold. And then lo and behold, Haggerty is, you know, that kind of white, scrappy middle infielder. So maybe it's just a perception thing. But yeah. guys like that, I feel like they're the kind of players that make going to minor league games fun, I guess. You know. So I, I, I have a question since we've talked about this um, a lot about how the Mets, by punting all these draft picks, didn't give up a whole lot. How do you think Ritter compares to, for instance, a guy like Carlos Cortez? Um, I mean, I don't want to just say better right off the bat because, you know, I'm not that enthusiastic about Cortez. Uh-huh. But I think that the profile all in all is better. Uh, Cortez probably has more power, uh, but I think that Ritter is probably more uh, a better hitter and just kind of more, what's the word, well-balanced, maybe. Uh-huh. I mean, that's interesting know. because they drafted Cortez in the third and gave him an overslot bonus as a, a sophomore or whatever, and instead this year they just took all seniors and gave them 10K got something that's the same or better right i mean i think we could all agree that we are not really sure what they saw in cortez to, to yeah that's maybe the not the best example but well i will take a guy like like colby woodmancy i guess or blake sure. Tiberi. you sure. know blake Tiberi is a good one for this yeah yep. yep they definitely i think got um much more value monetary wise in terms of performance, I mean, it's not like those guys perform particularly well. So if a guy like Ritter makes it to double A, which I think is a not a certainty, but it's a pretty good chance, then I think it's a win over a guy like a Woodmancy or a, a Tiberi at a cheaper, much, much, much cheaper price. Uh-huh. Cool. Yep. Would you agree with that, uh, Ken? Because you saw him, you know, last um, night as well. I would probably say he's you know, not much better or worse in either direction than like Tiberi or um, I, I could see him making it to double A, which is much farther than Woodman's he ever made. Um, I don't know if I'd say he's better than Cortez just because like I'm looking at Cortez's baseball cube page and he just had like a much better college career than uh, Ritter in like a better conference. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'd, I'd agree on the other two. And it's within the fudge factor, definitely, for all three 
Yeah, I mean, I think that it's all going to be negligible at the end of the day, really. Yeah. <laughs> all right, and now our pitcher of the week. Yep. Um, I mean, I, technically, it could have been Noah Syndergaard because he struck out, like, nine guys, but that would be cheating, I guess. So instead, it is uh, Thomas Zapucky, who he pitched two games this week. He started two games and went seven innings with the two of them combined. He allowed two hits, one earned run. He walked two, and he struck out eight. Obviously, um, Zapucky's been on a pitch count and an innings limit this season because he's coming back from Tommy John. So if you're expecting much numbers-wise from him, I guess don't be. He started the year about 30 pitches or about two innings. Right now, he's at about 55 pitches or so, which is, you know, four-ish innings. By the end of the year, probably about 90 pitches, six innings or so. But all in all, I think he's had a pretty good return from Tommy John. Um, he's experiencing some soreness early on, and that's why he was shut down for a few weeks at, you know, the beginning, middle of April, and then again at the beginning, the middle of May. But he's kind of found his groove, more or less. And he's been getting consistent work for about a month or so now. And we went into him a little bit into yeah, we went into him in a little depth last week when we were going over Columbia. But for a quick refresher, um, when I saw him, his fastball was 89 to 94, sitting about 91 to 93. Curveball sat 77 to 79. More often than not, he was guiding it. Change up, same thing. Um, it was in the mid to high 80s, and he was kind of telegraphing it. You know, he's slowing his arm down like the curveball. So while the fastball isn't exactly where it was in 2016, uh, it's getting there. Because back in April, um, like his second or third start, whatever it was, we were getting reports that his fastball was like 70, uh, 87 to 90, touching the low 90s instead yeah. of sitting there. Um, now it's sitting there. And then assuming, you know, there's no major setbacks or anything, hopefully he's back to that sitting 92, 95, touching 97-ish, whatever. And then if you look at Anthony Kay's return from Tommy John as kind of a guide, it took Kay about a year or so to get, you know, uh, a good feel for his curveball again. And it's part of the reason why he was having a lot of success in, in Binghamton. So hopefully this year, uh, Zapucky's... Uh, fastball velocity, you know, returns maybe around this time next year. It would be nice to see his curveball back to being where it was before he went down to to the injury. And his changeup was already kind of fringy and developing before he even got hurt. So I guess any development in that regard would kind of be icing on the cake. I'm not expecting much, but it would be nice if, you know, next year all of a sudden his, his changeup is really cleaned up a bit. Look, I don't think he's ever going to be a starter at this point. Uh, and as long as he comes out of this year healthy and ready to, to come back into next year with two good pitches. and I mean, hell, that curveball was good enough that if they committed to making him a reliever, I could see him moving fast next year if if he's healthy. So Yeah, I mean, he's kind of older and... He, it's a weird situation then because he's still old. He's old, but then at the same time, he's still kind of raw because of the injury and when it happened and everything. But yeah, I I mean, we've talked about this ad nauseum, but I think it probably would be in everybody's best bet to just kind of fast track him and 
Look, developing him as a st- as a starter in the minor leagues would take until he's like 26, 27 at this point, probably. And, and uh, he's a guy that I could uh, uh, if he's a guy that if left exposed in like the Rule Five draft, another team would grab and do 100%. exactly that. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you might as well just cut them off at the pass and do it yourself because. Well, well, it's a it's a problem, you know, because our bullpen's really crowded with guys like um, checks notes, Chris Mazza and uh, Steve Nogasek. Nogasek, yep. whatever. I I could not care less. Yeah. So yeah. I'm glad you mentioned Kay though. A lot of the things that we were saying about Kay um, coming into the season this year. Or, like, him just being on the field is a success. That's kind of how I feel about Zipaki. Yep. It's like just being able to throw and watching the stuff not completely implode, um, that already feels kind of like a win, you know? Oh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Look at I mean, hum- Molina last yeah, year. Yeah, true. And, like, Humphreys was- is just starting now. I think I saw a tweet that he threw a couple innings in the GCL. Yeah, well, he also had a he also had another issue. Oh. He had a secondary. Uh, I want to say it was a nerve issue. Some kind of some kind of other issue on top of the Tommy John, which is why it took him until now to you know mid year to debut. But yeah, I mean, Sapucky just being able to pitch is win, and the fact that he's being able to pitch while. We could see in real time the velocity coming back, which is something that never happened with Molina, is, you know, a double win. And, you know, the curveball, it, the curveball did not look bad. It just kind of is forced right now. So hopefully just more experience, more, you know, getting used to how his arm is going to feel during and after games will kind of let, allow him to go back to throwing it how he used to be, which was a really, really good pitch. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So, yeah, those are our uh, players of the week. Luke Ritter and Thomas Zipaki. And we will be right back after this. Welcome back. I'm Steve Saipa. I'm joined by Lucas and Kenny. And this week, we're all going to take a deep breath and exhale because the Mets signed Matthew Allen. I think I, I think I speak for all of us when I say we we knew it was going to happen that it would be basically impossible for a professional run organization to not have it in the bag. 
the second they called his name and literally altered their entire draft. But there was always that nagging feeling in the back of your head that this is the Mets. And if there was any team that would colossally screw up the entire draft, it would be the Mets. But all is good. So, I mean, Beatty, Wolf, and Allen, those are three pretty high high upside guys. Um, they are all officially in the organization now. Beatty is in the GCL. He's gotten a couple of at-bats under his belt. Wolf, he is assigned to the GCL, hasn't pitched yet, probably is not going to pitch much. Allen, he has not been assigned to anywhere yet, but he'll probably be same thing, assigned to GCL and get a couple of innings under his belt, not much. Assuming, you know, these guys are everything that, that we think they are and are going to be, I I would assume that all three would be on your top uh, 25 prospect lists. 100%, yep. Would they all be in your top 10 prospect lists? Um, I would probably put Batty and Wolf in there without thinking about it. and uh, Or not Batty and Wolf, Batty and Allen in there without thinking about it. And Wolf, I kind of don't know what to make of yet. Mm. Um, Allen K, Jimenez, Mientos. Do you want to go through the list and we can kind of discuss? Yeah, I have everybody's individual list here in front of me. So, uh, Kenny, for you, you had Jimenez, Alonso, Vientos, Mauricio, Peterson, Kilame, Kay, Zapaki, Newton, and oh, So much Richardson. has changed. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Um, so I guess I was, I'll start with um, Jimenez. Do we think that they're above Jimenez as like a collective? Since he's probably the best prospect in the system um, on these lists that since Alonzo graduated. I think Allen is the only one that could possibly challenge Jimenez. And I this is tough because I'm torn between two my two prospect takes, that being I care about proximity, but I also prefer upside over <laughs> um, floor. And Jimenez is close, but... I don't see the upside. Allen is far away and has lots. I think I put him in as first and then Allen second right now. Mm. I'm looking at my list now, and if I had to shuffle them around, I think I would go Mauricio, Jimenez, K, Allen, Batty, and then maybe Vientos. Yeah. I would go... Jimenez, I forgot K. I'm gonna be honest because I'm dumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I go Jimenez K. Not Allen. a good look from you, Lucas. Yeah, not a good let's, let's do this again. Oh no. You asked me around Jimenez. Uh, Jimenez K. Allen, Mauricio. Then I think Vientos and Beatty is pretty close. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of it. Like I'm just so like meh on everything else. Mm-hmm. I would kind of put Wolf wherever I'd put SWR. Yeah, I'd probably put them back to back. Um, and they're kind of they're kind of the same pitcher as far as I'm concerned. Right. <laughs> so it's like kind of back at the top ten, I think. Yeah. I don't think I, any. I, the Wolf is the lowest, and I don't think there's any way he's lower than like twelfth or thirteenth. Yeah. I was gonna say that. Um, 
I probably wouldn't have him in my top 10 because I'm, I, I was talking to Steve about this and I, I'm probably going to be way too high on Francisco Alvarez. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm assuming he, he's going to jump in there. Um, so I don't think Wolf is in the top 10, but on my prep, my personal list, but I don't think he, like you said, I don't think he's very far away. I think he's like 12th, maybe 13th. If I'm really feeling high on somebody else. Yeah, that was the problem I had when I was like, all right, so where would I put these guys? And in addition to, you know, taking out Alonzo, it's easy enough to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I had uh, Louis Santana in my yep. top 10. So I was like, okay, got to got to account for that. I also had Adolf. I think he was, he was 11. So got to account for that, too. And then within shuffling those guys around and then adding in guys that, you know, with another year, guys that kind of got not left off, but were kind of discounted a bit because of their lack of of their lack of professional experience. They're going to have another year under their belt now when we do this next year. So I, I was just like, oh, I don't know exactly what order I'm going to do. But I can say that I would have Baby in my top ten, yep. probably on the back half of that top ten. And then Wolf and Allen probably are going to be somewhere between 10 and 20 wolf closer to 20 you know on, on the lower side of that and alan on the higher side of that so you're because a lot lower on alan than than us the, it, the thing is i'm very high on alan as a pitcher as if he realizes his potential mm-hmm. but i same thing like woods richardson last year i think i ranked him like 21 uh junior santos another guy that was getting a lot of helium i think i ranked him around the same place too I, it just being so far away and and being a prep pitcher like, and being a pitch right like being a young pitcher a, a young hitter you're gonna have more bats you know sure. you're gonna see more yeah. so i i feel a little bit more confident and, ranking a guy like that but a pitcher i mean let's say he pitched wolf and or allen they pitch let's say 10 innings like what are we what are we really gonna make of that Ugh. at the same time i think allen is Already a better pitcher than those guys, has better mechanics than those guys, has better stuff than than those guys. Yes, has, Alan, so, Alan is definitely a step above, I would say. But then you have to grapple with, okay, that, the mechanics and the stuff is a little better. But then at the same time, Woods Richardson has an entire year now of, you know, full season bowl experience. Like, then you have to start weighing that. And it, it's very difficult. When, I understand what you're saying. To put some context in this, um, I think a very similar pitcher to Allen, uh, at least coming out of the draft, was Ethan Hankins. Mm-hmm. And he's currently, according to MLB Pipeline, uh, currently the ninth best prospect in a um, – I don't know if we'd call the Indians like a good system, but like no. a normal system, maybe. Middle tier, maybe towards the back of the middle tier. That is about where the Mets are. They're closer so, to the – The bottom than the, the top. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, in a similar, I guess a similar in air quotes, because I, I think this, the Mets are a, a clear step below the Indians. Um, he's the ninth best prospect. So mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I'm pretty sure. Sense. I personally would have probably both of them higher. Yeah. But, you know, it's within the fudge factor, I guess. Yeah. I mean, this isn't a system where it's, it's particularly easy to rank. I'm pretty sure, like, we're going to be. We're probably going to wind up overranking guys like Adrian Hernandez and Francisco Alvarez next season and underranking yeah. guys like Wolf and, and Allen and uh, SWR, which 
I mean, whatever. We'll see see what happens. But the the young the the new shiny things are always more exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that is a point I was gonna make is that you know the Met system. There's a lot of t- there you know at the top, not so much. But there is a lot of talent in the system. It's just very bottom heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Vientos, Ryan Mauricio, Shervian Newton, Thomas Apucky, Simeon Woods Richardson, they're all in low A. Junior Santos, Sebastian Espino, Gregory Guerrero, Jalen Palmer, right now they're all in Kingsport. You still counting Gregory Guerrero as a prospect? He's come alive a little bit, so we'll see. Okay. Uh, Joshua Wolf, Brett Beatty, presumably Allen. Francisco Alvarez, Stanley Consuegra, Adrian Hernandez, they're all in the GCL. Um, I'm really excited by Hernandez so far. Right. Freddie Alvarez is in the DSL. Um, presumably, uh, Freddie Valdez. Uh, what? Freddie Valdez. Oh, yeah, excuse me. I always confuse the two. Yeah. Freddie Valdez, thank you, is in the DSL. Presumably, Fernando Villalobos, who they just signed and is one of the few like notable rookies that was still available and the player specific issues. Mm-hmm. I, I think that factors into lots of these guys as well, especially the prep arms. It'll make it kind of fun though, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I have, I have fun with it, but yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of variance when we do a top 25 next year between our three lists, which should be entertaining. Stuff mm-hmm. to talk about. <laughs> Until the Mets, you know, are, go on a 10-game losing streak in June, and then the season ends. Well, that just means uh, a better draft pick next Better year. draft pick, yes. Uh, that's always good. Ooh, and maybe some mildly intriguing minor leaguers <laughs> Yeah. that aren't currently in the system. So <laughs> There's a lot of um, mildly intriguing minor leaguers that are no longer in the system, and when people mention them, you know what I say? Oh, yeah, that guy. <laughs> So that brings us to Oh Yeah, That Guy, our segment where we take a look back and remember some of the Mets Modern, League, uh, Mets Modern Leaguers of the years past that we might have forgotten about. So, Lucas, who is your Oh Yeah, That Guy? So my Oh Yeah, That Guy is Victor Cruzado, who I'm going to admit right at the front, I did not pick based on a particularly good week. I picked it because picked him because it is his birthday today. So happy birthday. Oh, yay. Oh, well, that's good for him. Um, How old he is also, he now? He is uh, 27. Oh, okay. 27 in zero days, according to baseball reference. Um, he actually did have a good uh, uh, performance during this week in 2013 when he hit 300, 391, 400. Doesn't, nothing jumps off the page there, really, but that's good for a 134 weighted. That was in Kingsport uh, at the time. Uh, so Cruzado was a relatively unheralded, I would say, uh, signing out of the Dominican Republic. Uh, never hit for a ton of power, never hit, never ran particularly well, uh, but dude just hit enough at the low levels in the minors, uh, and in particular had a really good approach, so he'd walk a lot, which is something you don't see from a lot of DSL prospects. I don't know if, I've always wondered if that's like a, a train, like a country-specific training thing, or just an age thing, but for whatever reason, I feel like lots of these young DSL guys are usually free swingers, and Cruzado was different because he wasn't. Um, supposedly the Mets also loved him internally for years while Sandy was around. Um, but he kind of petered out at double A. Uh, he made it there in 2016, uh, was basically league average, got, a, uh, 
half a season at AAA in 2017, where he was also basically average, and and then uh, elected free was granted free agency and hasn't picked up uh, with another affiliated organization. I think he went spent some time in indie ball uh, last year. It's always weird when when we start talking about these guys, and uh, you know, Cruzado was more or less an everyday player. You know, it's not like he was a kind of bench guy mm-hmm. or a role player. He was an everyday guy for multiple years. And it's just so weird how just a couple of months of layover, you know, between seasons, and it's like, oh, yeah, this guy never existed. Yep. He's, like, totally drop off the map. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I know he was – he's probably definitely a guy that was always a, a analytic starling who wasn't actually good, to use a phrase from uh, someone we hear a lot from. Uh, but I like the guys who walk a lot, and this guy was, like, probably didn't have the best physical tools, but – grinded out a decent minor league career out of it yeah i mean with when you could make it to double a you're basically on the on the doorstep of the majors it's no small feat ken who you got uh so my oh yeah that guy is Vinny sienna uh Mm. an infielder um who on this week in 2015 hit 429 448 500 Good for a 182 WRC plus and 29 uh, plate appearances, uh, you know, between June 23rd and June 30th, 2015. Uh, the Mets drafted him out of UConn in the 14th round of the 2015 draft. Um, he didn't really perform particularly well as a freshman or a sophomore, but really came on in his junior year uh, at UConn. So, you know, kind of like a, a guy who popped late, like a like a major conference performer that we often talk about a, a typical Mets selection is what you're yeah. saying yeah yeah ba- basically yeah um a guy who had a good performance not necessarily a long track record but a good performance in a pretty good conference and the Mets decided to to draft him uh so they immediately assigned him to the Brooklyn Cyclones where he you know had the week that I mentioned earlier uh he started off really good and then kind of cooled off as the summer went on Ending the season hitting 273, 337, 304 in 280 plate appearances. Uh, but he did get a call up to St. Lucie at the end of the year. Uh, I guess they were in like a playoff run and needed bodies. So um, he didn't really hit well, but he was there. Uh, he started 2016 in St. Lucie as well, but really never got going, hitting 236, 332, 280 in 184 PAs, um, and was actually demoted to Columbia uh, about midway through the year, uh, where he was really good. He was a Sally League All-Star. He hit 291, 435, 399, which was about 49% above league average. Um, But, you know, the demotion kind of puts a little damper on that. Um, He was very unlucky the following year. He broke his hamate bone two months before spring training. And um, really kind of busted his butt trying to be ready for spring training to not miss any time. Uh, but it was clear that, like, that had a pretty bad effect on him. He hit for a 43 WRC plus in the Florida State League and then was again sent back to Columbia and really didn't have the bounce back that he had there the previous summer. He ended up with a, um, a 68 WRC plus in the Sally League, um, you know, as, as a guy who played in a pretty good conference at college uh, in about 80, 80 plate appearances. 
Uh, his season ended in early August. I'm not really sure why. Probably they shut him down because of the hand. But uh, another factor might have been the presence of Tim Tebow having shown up in Columbia. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I found a very angry article uh, from UConn's school newspaper uh, basically yelling about why is Tim Tebow here when Vinny Siena, who, you know, hasn't been good, but was was good, you know, as early as the previous season, you know, he was kind of like one of the bubble guys who uh, Tim Tebow kind of took their place, kind of, but not really given the fact that he wasn't really all that good. Uh, and then he got released before spring training in 2018 and wound up with the New Britain Bees of the Atlantic League playing under as like a utility guy under Wally Backman. Mm. And, uh, he has been there, but hasn't really played in 2019. So he's still with New Britain, still playing under Backman. But um, you know, it's more of like a bench piece on you know an Atlantic team, an Atlantic League <clears throat> bench. Uh, but one thing I, I did find a quote from him that I thought was kind of interesting or kind of emblematic of what it's like to be sort of one of these minor leaguers on the fringes. Um, so it was from the New Haven Register uh, prior to last season, I think. And he said, I was looking forward to bounce back, presumably you know, from the injury. Uh, they called me in the office and said they were putting together rosters and just didn't have a spot for me. That's kind of just how the game goes. And yeah, that's just how the game goes, I guess. So Yeah. I remember when Sienna was uh, drafted, Alex Nelson wrote his profile, and he thought that there was actually more to the hit tool than it appeared. Like the numbers in college yeah. were fine. But like the the actual swing mechanics and everything were uh, better, I guess, than the numbers would have led on. So I I always thought that there would have been more to uh, Vinny Siena. I was a fan of his. I mean, and who knows if he doesn't break his hamate bone before 2017? Like that that's a notoriously bad injury for hitters. Um, Mm -hmm. There might have been more in there. And another thing also that made me think that there was possibly good things in his future was when he was not hitting well at all, he was drawing a lot of walks. Like, yeah. I guess it was that year that he was in St. Lucie. He hit like 210 or whatever, but he was walking like a 340 clip or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah, just couldn't put everything together. And then unfortunately hurt himself. Well, hopefully the Atlantic League treats him well and he finds his way back into organized ball someday. Yep. Uh, the guy I picked for this week is Rafael Ramirez, who in a week in 2015, 23rd to the 30th, hit 355, 382, 613 with two doubles, three triples, and two stolen bases. Uh, he was drafted, Ramirez, in the 18th round of the 2014 draft. He was the 535th player selected overall out of Pace Academy, which is a college prep school in Atlanta. And he was committed to uh, North Carolina State, and the Mets signed him for $150,000, which was about $50,000 over the uh, blanket slot value at the time for uh, rounds past selections past round 10. And he was assigned to the GCL Mets to come finish up the year 2014. And he hit 256, 309, 352 in 41 games. He was promoted to Kingsport in 2015. He hit 
233 in 27 games, so not good. But he got a promotion to St. Lucie nonetheless because they needed a body. And he played a couple of games there before being sent back to extended spring training and then repeating the year with uh, Kingsport when the season when their season started. And he did even worse in 2016. He hit 160, 206, 235 in 36 games. And then after that, he was handed his release. So it doesn't sound like Ramirez really ever amounted to much, which is a little surprising because the Mets even being able to sign him was a little bit of a surprise to the experts at the time. And obviously it took the Mets going a little bit over slot uh, to get him because he was just a really super athletic kid. Uh, he had plus speed and an above average arm. So by default on that, just, just that alone, you already have a kind of above average center fielder. And he could have even been a plus center fielder um, if he got more experience under his belt in terms of reading the ball and roots and all that stuff. But for as good as the glove was, the bat was just really not that great. Uh, it was more su- it was kind of long and more suited for hitting for power. But as a you know five foot ten, hundred sixty five pound guy, he really you know was not going to be hitting for power. Uh, the swing got better as a professional. Um, he started kind of going with pitches more instead of just trying to slug and pull everything. But it never got to the point where the hit tool was really going to have a chance. And they combine that with the fact that he had really extreme platoon splits against other lefties and the fact that he just kind of had uh, trouble recognizing breaking pitches and, and everything just basically spelled doom for him. And, you know, those aren't issues specific to him not being able to recognize breaking pitches and, you know, not being able to lay off, whatever. But it just kind of goes to show that, you know, it doesn't matter how much athleticism or potential talent you have, because even being a minor leaguer at the bottom of the ladder takes like so much skill and work and effort and everything like, you know, boggles the mind, really, like how good you have to be to even be drafted to begin with. And then how much better you need to be to just kind of keep moving up the ladder, let alone keeping float or excelling. You know, tying that back to what we were talking, I guess, about Beatty and Allen and Wolf, you know, it's just kind of hard to say what what they'll do, because, you know, when he was signed, Ramirez is like, you know, not not a major coup, but, you know, he was seen as a pretty good guy, a pretty good amateur. So, yeah, it, it just when you think about how much work these kids and everything have to have to put in, it boggles the mind. And then even more so to me, and, you know, and I'm sure you guys and really anyone else out there that's rational human beings, professional organizations knowing all that, it boggles the mind even more that these kids still have to deal with suboptimal nutrition, crazy living conditions, all that other stuff. But I guess, you know, a a dollar saved today is worth more than potential two dollars in the future. It really is ludicrous. Like, yeah. There need, some some exec just needs to do the analysis of like, if if we made conditions the, this much better, here here's the value gain if our results from our development pipeline are 20% better or 30% better. Like the breaking point is going to be so ridiculously low on that. Yeah, I mean it's it's you're not. 
You're also probably spending... attract minor league free agents more easily too. How is no team? Well, the real answer is that they collude and say no one's doing this because right. none of us want to spend on it. But I mean, buying buying a a decent meal for your 25, 30 players, whatever, on a minor league team, it's not going to be that much more expensive than buying a bunch of tubs of peanut butter and jelly and whatever else, bread. It's like, if you want to think of baseball teams as like corporations, like point zero 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 one percent of their annual operating like budget. Yeah, exactly. Like feeding 25 guys times what, like six or seven affiliates? Like it would cost, let's be like generous to the teams. Let's say you implement a comprehensive nutritional program with like nutri- like someone making a big plan, somebody for each organization, and you're actually buying the food that costs you, what, $2 million a year? The second you get one extra guy that develops because of that, you've broken mm-hmm. it. It's, yep. it's yeah, ludicrous. Like, like if, you, if, if, if doing that gets you one extra, maybe not Jeff McNeil, but like one extra 14th round random dude who just pops miraculously, like, mm-hmm. like I'm not totally sure. worth it. <laughs> I don't yep. want to be mean or fat shame anyone here, but Dom came up and was in horrible shape. And now yep. he's in better shape, and surprise, surprise, he's hit, hitting better. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's the only thing that's changed, but it has to be a factor. So help you guys out. Come yeah, on, like, um, and I, I remember all the stories we heard like, year after year with Dom where, oh, you know, he's learning how to cook so that he can eat well. <laughs> like... <laughs> Maybe and, we shouldn't have to have those stories. <laughs> right, and even with his sleep apnea machine, like he did, he didn't really get one or have an effective one or whatever the case was until this season when he kind of became a, a permanent major leaguer. Yeah, like at like, the very least, nobody told him that he had to be using it constantly. <laughs> I, I think that a team can a afford of, yeah. a CPAP machine. Like, yeah, not hard. No. <laughs> Again, you're talking about, you know, a fraction of 1% of the annual operating budget if you have to buy a bunch of them. Yep. Well, unfortunately, we are we are preaching to the choir here. Yep. Well, if anyone has any comments, questions, whatever, send us an email. It is at fromcomplextoqueens at gmail.com. If you don't want to do that, you can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Saipa. Lucas is Lucas is at Elflahos343, and Ken is at at Ken1191. Subscribe to the podcast if you are not already subscribed to it. You'll get our podcast. You'll get the Amazing Avenue audio podcast, a part of their own podcast, uh, Unformidable. You get everything. And then rate and review it, of course. And just thank you for listening, everybody who is listening. And we will be back next week. Hashtag love the Mets. Love the Mets.